American Missional Podcast. Uh, I am Terry Ishi, and today on the roundtable, I am joined uh, by two good friends, uh, Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. It's good to be here with you guys. Awesome. And then we're also joined, a uh, first-time guest, uh, Andreas Zelaya uh, in Houston, Texas, my hometown. It's where I grew up. Go Astros and Texans. How you doing, buddy? Great. I don't know why you're not still here, but uh, that's all right. Yeah, th- there's a long story to that, but it's probably it w- at least... 24 years ago, it was a good reason I got out of town. So let's just put it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, You can come back anytime. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's changed so much. It's crazy. But uh, Andreas, man, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself uh, for people listening. Um, I know you're, you you are a pastor uh, at a church there in Houston. Share a little bit about that. And then tell us a little bit about kind of what you're doing in your neighborhood and, and how you're living as a missionary. So, um, I'm married to Nancy, who uh, is a nurse here in the medical center. I've been married for nine years this month, actually. Um, Two kids. Leah is eight. She's in third grade. And Tim is six. He's in kindergarten. And so, I've been serving as a pastor uh, for a couple of years, currently serving at Christ the King here in Houston, um, right right outside of the loop. And I transitioned within the church from overseeing, you know, missions, uh, to, I now, um, oversee adult ministry. So women's men's connections, um, uh, with a unique focus on implementing a missional discipleship pathway. Um, so I'm working on that, something I'm really excited about. Um, yeah. So we moved into our neighborhood, um, right around when COVID started a couple of months ago, (laughs) which is not awesome. Um, and so a lot of the dreams that we had for kind of engaging and entering this neighborhood, um, just had to be reevaluated. You know, we came in with these dreams of getting to know our neighbors in particular ways and listening, engaging, you know, hosting, um, just, uh, you know, walking, uh, visiting. And then all of a sudden it's like, everybody's indoors. People are hesitant, socially distanced, um, wearing masks. And so, you know, those first few months were kind of rough, uh, but then summer came around and things picked up, uh, looked a lot better. We reevaluated, started praying. How can we start engaging? And God started opening doors. And so we started to get to know, you know, uh, do some simple tools uh, that Forge uh, is great at providing different strategies and stuff, um, you know, like the four Ds about missional engagement, the six Ps of incarnational mission, um, all of these things started practicing them. And we just be- began to see God opening doors for conversation. So we've been able to get to know pretty much, like I, I was making a list um, earlier, we've gotten to know probably 90% of our neighbors um, by name, uh, know their kids, their dogs' names, if you ask me. Um, We've gotten to have some of them over in our backyard, you know, physically distant. They're, they're open to that. We've gotten invited to their uh, different parties. Uh, we've thrown birthday parties in our backyard. They've come over. And so, you know, even though COVID, I was just talking to some friends yesterday, has indeed, um, you know, uh, there's some limitations that have come with it. But there's also been some really cool, unique opportunities that have also come up. Um, which has been really great because it's actually forced my wife and I 
you know, we talk about the first, second, and third spaces in Forged. Well, our second and third has basically become our first, meaning mm -hmm. we've had to focus, put all our energy, mind, attention, resources to our first place, our neighborhood, right? Rather than see that as a negative or as a limitation, we see that as an incredible opportunity to embed yeah. in our neighborhood, get to know our neighbors in a very unique, in-depth kind of way. A um, couple of months ago, I joined our neighborhood civic council. So I live right outside downtown, this neighborhood called First Ward, um, historic district, um, you know, I think it was founded like in 1840 or something like that. Um, it's a very, it's, it's evolving, changing gentrification. Um, so there's, you know, there's a tension there that you feel. So I decided to join our civic council. So it's not, it's not big. Um, and then they asked me to be on like the elections committee. And so, uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm a new member and they invited me to be part of this committee where I get to know, you know, a lot of our neighbors get to listen to them, um, get to learn through them about our neighborhood, what God has been up to here before I got here and what he's doing. So anyways, so there are a few of the ways that we've gotten to really, you know, engage our neighborhood and start to develop friendships. Right on. That's beautiful, man. Uh, well, that leads right really kind of into what we want to talk about today. And so if you were listening to the podcast last week, um, you heard Jeremy and Monica Chambers uh, join us and talk about kind of kickstart this, I, this, this series that we're doing around this formula that we use in Forge America. We refer to it as CME. Uh, it really it fleshed out means uh, our Christology informs our missiology which informs our ecclesiology. And so today we're gonna to talk about that middle piece that M, the missiology uh, and everything that you're doing in your neighborhood, man, is mission. And I love it. I love that you're, you're thinking through that. And one of the things that I think is beautiful right now uh, with COVID, which I think it's important that we try to find the beautiful things in this because God's reign, his reign still is still there. Uh, so there's still beauty in the world is that it, it really does give us this opportunity to slow down and, really rethink neighborhood. Um, I'm, I'm shocked. Nah, no, I'm not because I'm used to it by now. Uh, but it's funny how many, how many pastors that I talk to have the same sentiment that you just shared that, um, uh, this forced idea to look at the first place, you know, that, Oh, I've, I've got to put time in the neighborhood when, uh, when we really sit and think about it, there's a reason why it's the first, uh, first place is it's this it's home it, it should be the primary space but for clergy for for uh full-time ministry uh workers that that the first place is so it's so tough it's so tough to be a practitioner and to really do that but but we know that for churches that figure that out for churches that give their staff the space to do that, to get into those spaces in the neighborhood or maybe a third, a third space where you're a coffee shop or a bar or whatever, um, that when they have that, they actually have a better uh, percentage and more success in mobilizing their people for mission. And so that's what we want to talk about today is mission. What does it look like? kind of what it, how, how is it informed by Jesus and what does it look like for both a vocational uh, members as well as the everyday uh, follower of Jesus. And so Alan, tell me, man, what, when you think of mission um, 
and I know you've been entrenched in this for a long time, uh, both as a practitioner, but also as someone who's mobilizing and equipping people. When you think of mission, what comes to mind? Like, what are what are your initial thoughts on uh, on, on the mission of God? It, it's interesting because we spend a lot of time in the Forge residency unpacking people's idea of what mission is, because most churches that I've encountered and, and I grew up in, um, I, you know, I, I got drugged to church at the age of 14, started and really thrown into the weird church culture. What the heck is going on? And then decided, yeah, I think I want to give my life to all of this. Uh, but you start to have to unpack it. And really mission has just become this siloed thing, right? I mean, you kind of go back to the classic mission is, and then you insert some word images or pictures in your mind. And mission is the crazy guy who lives in some other country that comes in on Sunday nights and everybody has to go to the sanctuary and watch his slideshow on things that you're not interested or care about. Um, or mission is, you know, oh, that project or that initiative usually coming from, um, the top of an organization, you know, here are the, here's what we're interested in. And so I, I feel like a lot of times we have to unpack it, but I go back to, there's this great line by Eugene Peterson. He says, uh, to follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid, but always derivative mm. from Jesus. Um, and I'm like, Oh, it's like that. Okay. That makes it a little bit more accessible for me. So, uh, if you guys remember the, um, uh, if you guys were around for the, what would Jesus do bracelets? You guys remember those? So everybody walking around with a, with a rubber bracelet on their wrist that said WWJD. Uh, and it was, I remember somebody a long time ago said, it really shouldn't be that it should be like the initial should be something like, what would Jesus do if he was living my life, living in my context, da, 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 da. but that's not marketable. <laughs> you can't put that all in there. So mission to just sum it up. It's like, Hey, what would Jesus be doing if he's living your life? Uh, in your context, in your place. And what does that look like? How, how are you going to be about that? I think that's why, you know, we're talking about like CME. And I know, you know, last time uh, you started with Christology. And I mean, that's really why it's important and why we start there with what is the gospel? Who is Jesus? Um, because once we realize who Jesus is, what he did, how he did it, the patterns and examples that he set, it's only then that we can follow in his footsteps. And so for me, that's really where it has to start. It really has to start with a robust, you know, Brad Briscoe has this great image that he's done. Um, I know I've seen it on his website where he talks about developing a robust Christology, which is not, you know, not just focusing as so much of evangelicalism does certainly in America, on the death, somewhat the resurrection of Christ, right? But actually looking before that, I mean, this was a um, Jesus, uh, you know, 33 and a half years of his life. What did he do for 30 years, right? And what does that say about um, how if we're to follow in Jesus' footsteps, what should our posture be? What should our attitudes be? So, I'm, you know, uh, for me, it's really important to constantly, as, as we talk about in Forge, be recalibrated to Jesus. Once you're recalibrated to Jesus, then you can really answer the question, okay, so if Jesus discipled this way, engaged in mission this way, embedded, engaged, and incarnated in this context this way, what does that mean for me here and now? How do I follow Jesus here and now? And I mean, that's really the, the beauty, I think, of, of what we're looking at here with CME. Yeah. And I think even in John five, where, you know, people are pushing back Jesus and, and his response, you know, when he's, he's really kind of expressing who he is, it's, it's his, one of the, the, the 
first time, not the first times, but when he reveals that he is the the son of God, and he makes this 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 thought where I only do what I see the Father do, right? And mm. it's this interconnectedness and how, um, and really, I think he he speaks that one to give him some legitimacy, some authority, like, hey, we are connected. But also, I think it's for our benefit as well. It's that when we, we when we see Jesus, we see the Father, um, and we are to be in His likeness. And so, what does that look like for us? And uh, Alan, you mentioned earlier, uh, I've been in ministry for twenty three and a half years uh, as a pastor of some sort, typically student ministry, next generation, etc. And I always hated the missions department. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it's one of those things like I didn't, I didn't really even have anything against it it's like I just hated the things that they put out there that I felt forced into doing um, and it was more more of like oh I'm a horrible human being was, I was so down on myself I'm a horrible human being because I don't want to go do this or this doesn't interest me or I would rather be doing relational things or Hey, we're going to do this thing. Why can't we talk while we do this? This is stupid. You know, it's like all of these things. And it was, it was just so frustrating. And it, it really minimized and diminished what the Missio Day is, what the mission of God is. It reduces it to projects. And uh, man, it just gave me such a sour uh, experience mm. that I, I really wasn't into those things. And so I would, I would jump into the other things that were interesting to me. And it was one of those things for years, it was kind of like the, the shallow, uh, aspect of my faith where it's like, yeah, I did some thing. I, I blessed people that I was connected with, but the organized piece of it just was, it was, I had a bad taste in my mouth. Well, and, the, and the other trick of it was, is it made mission, um, it made a, it made mission. The people who did mission were like the Navy seals of Christianity. Yep. You know, they were the people who were like, Oh my gosh, you went to some horrible forsaken place like Kentucky or something, you know, like you're over there doing this amazing work, uh, blah, 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 doing all this stuff. And I could never do that. Right. And, and I've heard that actually from church leaders here. It's like, Oh, what you're talking about are, are your Navy seals. I'm like, no, this is everybody like mission is for everybody. And, yep. and we're all, on mission, God is expecting us all. Like we are living out His mission. Um, it's not just those over there. And again, I think there were some great things that happened in all sure. of the mission work. So all of this stuff that we're we're putting a casting a bad light on, the Spirit's still working. <laughs> so sure. God forgive us where we've gone wrong. And I think some amazing thing has happened. And those people have done uh, God honoring amazing things. But. Uh, every good thing has a shadow. The shadow to that was everyday people felt like it was inaccessible to them. And so to highlight stories or to highlight people who are like, yeah, actually mission for me was not going to some forsaken place, but actually going to my neighborhood um, and getting to know my neighbors and doing the hard work over 30 years that nobody ever celebrated and loving them you know, well and celebrating those stories. Um, that's something that I feel like we're starting to reclaim. Yeah. And I think also the motivation of why it is you do what you do is huge. And, you know, I, Andreas, you're, you're a young guy. Um, but Al and I, we're, 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 we're both from the, the small remnant uh, of the church growth movement that we're old enough that we were a part of that where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to do this event. Uh, and it's, we're going to bless people and it's going to be this great mission project. But at the end of the day, the success of that wasn't on how many people we ministered to it was how many people will show up on a sunday mm. uh, how many people would it would it move us and so like 
even thinking through, okay, what's the motivation um, for why we do what we do? And I think it's dangerous to even uh, to look at mission today and the, the missional conversation, the missional incarnational conversation, because I still see people where they're trying to leverage missional incarnational ideas and practices for the sole purposes of getting people to a Sunday morning. And we have to, we, we really have to check that, that motivation. We have to check our hearts. Uh, even so much that I think, at least in my experience, I've shot the other way on the pendulum, where I remember uh, early in ministry where you never did any ministry project without a church t-shirt on. It's like, you let people know, you literally <laughs> put a stake in the ground with a sign that says, so-and-so church is here, you're welcome. And then when I planted our church, uh, it was, we, we've never had a t-shirt in 14 years. We've never done a t-shirt. We've never done any swag or anything. And the, and the, and the purpose behind it is, was we never wanted to come across as self-serving. Um, now, uh, I have a collection of swag t-shirts and coffee mugs and all that from churches and church plants. Nothing wrong with those things. They're great. But again, it's what's the intended purpose of what you do. And so when we think of mission, that's the question we have to ask. What is our purpose? You know, I I uh, remember reading this book about a year ago. Michael Goheen um, wrote this great book on Newbegin where he, you know, starts uh, unraveling basically how we get our missionary identity. And there's kind of four steps or stages or elements, as it were. Um, it starts with the gospel, obviously, with Jesus, right? Which is why we start with Christology, uh, but specifically the gospel of the kingdom, the reign and rule of God. And we talk a lot about that at Forge, um, which is which is huge. It's primary, right? Uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, that gospel, Jesus, um, is set within a story, right? Uh, what Newbegin called the true story of the world, which we call the Bible scripture from Genesis through Revelation. So the gospel is set within a story. And what we learn in that story, Newbegin or Goheen goes on to say, is that we have a missionary God who in turn modes, shapes, calls, sends a missionary people, right? So Briscoe and Mission Essentials, Co-Vocational Church Planning a lot, says that we have that's really where we have to start with the mission and nature of god and the mission and the nature of church and so once we do that is that then newbegin says then we can go on and talk about having a missionary encounter it's only then that you can begin to develop um your structures your systems your liturgies um uh what, what we would call your ecclesiology your church so you know it's not that obviously that we're dismissing throwing away, ignoring, or de-emphasizing the importance of ecclesiology at all. Um, and I, I remember Terry, you once saying this, this is probably where, you know, some people get in trouble is when we start talking or tinkering too much with people's ecclesiology, that's not what we're saying at all, right? What we're talking about is simply a matter of putting the cart before the horse, right? What comes? And if Newbegin is right, if Goheen is right, if Briscoe is right, um, and we could go on and talk about Keller and others, if Hirsch is right, then you must start with Jesus. As you follow him, you begin to engage in mission, which is what we call missiology. And only then will that lead you to ecclesiology. What's the form of the church in this particular context? Um, and that's, I mean, that's just been so eye-opening 
but it's also been just liberating, you know, as I move into this context, this new neighborhood where I'm now in, um, I, all of a sudden I'm free to follow Jesus on mission instead of worrying, putting all my focus and attention on what a particular ecclesiological structure might look like, what a Sunday morning might look like. Yeah. And that's what church planting has, has tried to attempt to do over the last 30, 40 years. Um, especially church planting in hard places where there are few followers of Christ. And so the idea is you would go into a community and you would build a significant amount of social uh, momentum where you would invest the ton socially. And, you know, we always called that the incubation phase. It's like, oh, your incubation mm -hmm. phase, you're just building relationships, social momentum, build, 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 build. And then out of that, take advantage of any sort of spiritual uh, conversations and spiritual things that may happen. And as you build spiritual momentum, you now create spaces where people can have these sorts of conversations. That's That was an, the initial church planting formula where you would come in, build social momentum to a point where you could have spiritual momentum and then now you have a church. And what they often do is they kick off the social momentum piece and then they try to just ride out mm. the social momentum. And depending on how gifted they were, the context, uh, the resources they had, uh, often not, they would plateau. And and it was, a, it was just an amount of time before they plateaued. Uh, and the reason why they cut that social momentum piece off is that it's not sustainable um, because they realize we can now not put energy into the spiritual. We have to now focus on pastoring and we don't have time for the relationships. And what we've now created is we've, we've given life to something and then we've cut off the food source. And so it's just a matter of time before it dies. And so what does planting look like? That, uh, can we build social momentum into the mission aspect of that where it's highly sustainable so that when you get to the spiritual momentum, when the ecclesiology begins to form, you don't necessarily have to shut down the mission aspect of it, but it actually becomes the engine for and fuel source for everything that the ecclesiology, the church actually does. Uh, that is hard to do. It really is hmm. because it, it, it goes against every type of intuition that we have as church leaders over the last 30 to 40 years. But there are a few people who are doing that, that they're, they're, they're understanding that, yes, we can gather, we can create the ecclesiology, we can create this gathering space, but we're still utilizing mission as the fuel to move us forward. Yeah. And if you really think about the, the first model you just gave, it's manipulative, right? It's, it's sure. a complete and utter strategy to say, I'm going to become your friend so that you could be a part of my thing over here. Like, I mean, that's just what it is. It's, it's, it's like, um, <laughs> it's all the pyramid schemes, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to use my relationship so I can sell you this thing. And really it's just me building my own kingdom. But I think if you look at this, when you look at that, I think for me, the question then becomes, what am I trying to get at? Then it becomes in a crass form, it becomes about metrics. Yeah. It's not about, Hey, how do I get as many people as I can to come to my thing, 
to come to that. No, it doesn't. I'm not trying to belittle the gathering at all. The, I still think there's beauty in the Sunday gathering, sure. but really it's about um, different metrics. It's going to be about life change. It's going to be about transformation. It's about, you know, Jesus being glorified. It's about the rule and reign of God being revealed in our everyday spaces. And how, do, what does that look like? That looks completely different than how many people start coming to my Sunday gathering and start tithing. Um, again, I'm not trying to belittle that. Uh, I am a pastor. I think, I think the gathering is important, but what, what's the ultimate goal here? And how we get there matters. It's huge. I remember the, one of the most depressing things someone told me when I planted, when I was like, I am planting a church, guys. One of the most depressing things that someone told me, and it was something that I had grieved because I'd been a part of four church plants before I planted on my own. And it was the idea that the people you start with, you will not finish with. And then that is such a common, that's a common saying. If you're listening to this and you planted a church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Often when you plant a church, when you start something within three years, the people you start with are no longer with you. And it's because you start in one way and you make the shift and it's the shift where we lose people. Now, of course, I'm not talking about, well, people, they wanted to be a small family forever. And then we started growing and blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the relationships that you build in the mission aspect of the plant. And then when you shift away from mission and focus on the shepherding and teaching ministries, which are important and we have to have, we lose people. Um, it's the, we talk about communitas all the time. Communitas is formed in the mission. Uh, communitas is not formed in the shepherding teaching ministry. It is, it's in the, it's in the mission aspect of what we do. Uh, and so if we're building those relationships and then all of a sudden we cut that out and say, that's no longer important, or that was it for a season. We did that for a season to get us to where we are now. It's, it's, it makes sense why we lose people, why we don't finish well, uh, with the people we started with. But if we can fix that, if we can, if we can figure out how do we get on mission with a group of people truly build communitas and then whatever form of ecclesiology we have, it should survive, right? If the communitas is strong enough, it should survive it. If it still honors that relationship, if it honors what that relationship was about. Uh, and I think that's where, that's, what's exciting to me because I'm seeing a new form of church planting happening across the country uh, where people are being more mindful of this is how do we, how do we live on mission together? And of course we're going to gather and we're going to include people to do that. But it's just, it's again, it's just a different way of getting to Sunday. Sunday's still good. Sunday's still important. This is America. Sunday will always, I, I, I can't envision a time where Sunday will not be equated with the church gathering. That's okay. We don't have to like grieve that. We don't have to fight against it. It's actually kind of stupid to fight against that. But we can change how we get there, our motivation behind it why it exists and how we include people into that. And I think if we wrestle with those questions, we will, we'll, we'll actually have something significant to wrestle with this sharp decline in church attendance because more and more people uh, don't want anything to do with this. And uh, the thing that scares me, I'm, I'm 40 now I'm in my forties. And so like 20 year olds, like we're, we're, they're just, they're non-existent in the church world. And so are there very, very, very few. And so that we have to be mindful of that. And if we don't wrestle with this, we're going to age ourselves out where we're just going to be a bunch of old Christians. 
so Terry and maybe Alan too, you know, you've been talking, uh, you know, I've heard you talk to church planners and you've been talking about your own experience in church planting. Um, what, how, so what would you say to pastors or leaders, um, sometimes in second, third chairs, um, of existing congregations? Cause we're talking about recalibrating, um, back to Christology, but in this specific episode to missiology, what are some steps that current leaders, current pastors, current congregations can take to recalibrate, to maybe move toward not so much focusing or tinkering with their ecclesiology, uh, which is it's fine and oftentimes needed, but to take a step even further, go back some as it were, and actually recalibrate to missiology or recalibrate that missiological piece. How do you do that? What are some steps that pastors can take? You know, for me, uh, the first thing there, if you're, if you're talking about existing communities, right? Um, I think the job of a leader is to define reality. That's a big part of a, of a leader's job. And um, what I've noticed a lot of times is um, Pastor Joe <laughs> gets fired up about a concept, right? A lot of times it was Pastor Joe went to this conference and got fired up about something, God brought it back to their people and said, we need to be about this. Okay. And then they tried to hammer that in. And the trick with this conversation is people take this, this missional incarnational conversation. They go, Hey, we could just do it like that again, as opposed to let's sit down and really define the reality of who we are and where you're trying to lead people. Um, I heard somebody say once, um, uh, the idea of what they call the theology of clicks. So um, the idea of, of if you had a continuum from A to Z, so A, B, C, D, or whatever, um, most leaders are an M and they're looking at R, right? So if you're in a, you're in a traditional church and you're at M and you're like, oh man, this, this missional conversation is what's going to get us. And that's, that's R. I want to get people to there. Well, most people are on B and they think C is stupid. <laughs> they can't comprehend M and, and R is just impossible. Like that's out there. And so how do you define reality really well beyond your own biases and blind spots and then say, you know what? This church has been around for a hundred years. I'm not going to change it in the next 10, you know, let alone the next five or three, I'm going to change it in the next 20 by faithful service. And then you take one click from how do I help me people get from B to C. And then I'm going to take another click, get from C to D. So eventually they can start to cast, get the vision of M or get the vision of R. Now for people in traditional churches, like, there's some people who have that skill set and they could do that and they'll take the long run and they'll say, Hey, let's do this. But a lot of times with church planners, they're like, mm, I ain't got the skill set. <laughs> I don't have the patience. I don't have the time. I want this now. So it's easier to give birth to something than we would say to, to raise something from the dead. Yeah. Trick is I, I think we need both. I think we need people who are giving birth. And I believe that we all serve a God who does bring life from death, sure. uh, who is about the resurrection. So can still do that again. Okay. Those are drastic terms. Don't, don't hear what I'm saying. Traditional churches are not dead. The spirit's still working. Uh, it's a metaphor, but you know what I'm saying? Like you have to define reality and say, where are we going? No, I like the idea of, of the theology of clicks. I mean, that's huge. And I also think, um, I forget who I heard this say, we overestimate what we can do in two or three years and underestimate what God can do in 10. Yeah. Um, I always say, you know, it's, it's always a 10 year project. You might be able to do it in three or five, 
but that's up to the spirit. It's up to God. It's not up to you. Yeah. Um, but it's probably going to take more than, you know, one year or two years of you doing some really cool missional stuff. Yeah. I think you bring up a, a an important ask the, the question you asked. I think there's a piece of it that I think is huge that uh, there are probably people listening. There's like, Oh, you didn't answer the piece that I want you to answer. It's when you have someone who's in the second or third chair, that, that man, that's such a tough, uh, spot. And I just, I talk with people every day across the country who are in that exact spot. They're like, I'm not the guy. I can't go to the board. I can't go to the elders and say, Hey, this is where we want to go. I- I've got to run it up the chain. I've got to, I've got to convince people. So what, what do I do? Um, and yeah, I, there's things out there where people say, well, if you're not the top guy, don't even waste your time. And man, I just, I can't, I, I'm just not one of those guys. I can't go there. Cause I think there's some things you can do. Um, and I think really, even in the, the way you ask the question is the, the bit of the answers in the question is no one's going to argue whether you're in the first chair, the second or the third chair that Jesus is Lord, uh, and that Jesus is primary in anything that we do. And so having any sort of ministry, so whether you're the missions guy, the discipleship guy, the small groups guy, whatever it is, whatever guy you are. Uh, and then that's why I'll insert or gal. And say I use guy as a gender neutral, <laughs> all inclusive. But for those who want, who may not think that way, yes. Uh, so all people, whatever person you are, um, you can always push people back to Jesus, and no one's like you're not going to get pulled into a a review and be like, hey, I noticed you're pushing people back to Jesus. That that's not what we do here. So I think you can always do that no matter what chair you sit in, in in a church organization. And then out of that, again, no one's going to argue with discipleship. And so discipleship is ultimately what Jesus has called us to. It is, and, and the way that I would define discipleship, and I know there's a million different definitions out there, but for me, discipleship is bringing every aspect of my life under the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, so that gives a lot of space for pre-conversion discipleship, post-conversion discipleship, people that's been a Christian for 40 years, everyone, there's always room to grow. There's always room to bring people into this. So what does it look like to, to orient my life around Jesus? And how do I invite people to do that? And I think mission, that's what mission is. It's creating strategic ways, if intentional ways of getting people to orient around Jesus as Lord and inviting people to come see and experience what that might look like in their life. And so I don't think that's wasted energy. I don't think that's wasted time. Now that could get hijacked by someone sitting in the second seat or the first seat when they have an initiative Mm -hmm. or things like that. And so, and that sucks. That just, I mean, I hate, I feel, and I've been in that situation where it's just like, Ooh, man, I would do it differently, but that's not, I don't have that spot. So you got to roll with the punches, but I don't think you can ever go wrong with taking people back to Jesus and then pushing people into mission um, because that's what discipleship is. Uh, so ultimately that's, that's how I would answer that question. And then depending on your ability, like what you, what you can get away with, right? I think a lot of times in ministry for the pastors that are listening, a lot of times it's just, we're just trying to figure out what we can get away with. And it's like, yeah, I think I can pull that off. And, and if, if, if the, your pastor, your leader, whoever's over oversight, uh, if they're like, yeah, sure. Why not? If just getting away with like pushing people towards that, 
Um, and if the senior leader never catcher, captures that, that that's unfortunate. But I think you won't waste your time. Uh, and I just did the air quotes for people not watching. But you won't waste your time pushing people to Jesus and pushing people into mission, which I know we're right. Well, this we've already gone long. We haven't even got to the practical aspect of this. And so let, let's shift gears here. And let me ask this question to you guys. What does mission look like at a practical level? So you've got a group of people. You've been blessed with a congregation of people who are like, all right, dummy, tell me what to do. Um, how do we, how do we move people into mission? Knowing that there's probably got to be a paradigm shift that they have to wrestle with first. And so, and in Forge, we, that's, 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 you know, step one always is helping people understand you even mentioned this earlier, Andreas, the missionary nature of God. And what does that mean for the missionary nature of the church? And so the missionary nature of every follower of Jesus. I think there's, I mean, uh, especially Forge has so many resources on what this looks like at a really practical level. I mean, you know, my mind always goes to right here, right now, and especially, you know, Alan's, what is it, his preface or introduction on that thing? It's just, it's crazy brilliant. I mean, he, you know, packs a huge punch, just 30 ideas on what it could look like. Um, I think one of the main things to remember is that we, if we're truly, I think you mentioned this earlier, um, that, uh, putting ecclesiology before missiology, it's just, it's not right. It's not, I'd say it's not incarnational either. Um, like it's not Jesus's way. He, he comes in and he embeds in his community again for 30 years. He could have, I mean, if he did what he did in three and a half, what could he have done in those other 30 years, yeah. right? Solved world poverty, uh, healed every single person and every single, I mean, but what does that say about like mission and our um, sentness, right? If we're supposed to follow in his footsteps, how do we let those ideas define our own um, engagement? And so for me, it, it has to begin. So I just went into this neighborhood. I've got ideas about, what I could do and how I could engage and how I can embed. And like, I, and I, I'm using some of these tools, but at the end of the day, I can't because the incarnation doesn't let me, I cannot bring prefabricated ideas to a community, whether about, whether it's about the gospel or the church, not that the gospels changes, it's the same message, but the language and the categories change. I remember reading Sam Chan came out a couple of years ago with a whole book called Evangelism in the Skeptical World. And he talks about this simple idea of sin, how in the West it emphasizes uh, guilt. So sin is uh, within the frame. We talk about sin within the framework work of guilt. So Luther, right. And the Reformation, Calvin were huge on that in the East, right. In the Eastern world, the emphasis is on sin within the category of framework of shame. So it's just, we're still talking about sin. We're using the same word, the same language. It's the same message, right? Jesus came, died for your sin, but how it's emphasized, how you talk about it, how it's contextualized, the categories, the language that you use shifts. And that's what it, you know, that's what contextualization means. And so I don't think this is as far-fetched or, you know, revolutionary, I think, as it first sounds. I mean, for the past century, studies on cross-cultural missions have talked about the need for contextualization and indigenization. 
right? We just haven't applied the same thinking in the West and certainly in the U.S. as uh, Mibigan urges to. So a huge first step when we talk about, okay, what does that look like practically? Well, don't bring in prefabricated ideas, yeah. right? Okay, so then what's the positive of that? It's listening. It's discerning. You know, we talk in, in Forge, of, or uh, I know Briscoe talks about the four Ds of missional engagement, right? It starts with discover, uh, moves on to discern, then do, and then debrief, right? But notice before you do, there's two steps, and that is discover and discern. And so, for example, for me, it means spending a lot of time walking around the block. I do prayer walking and talking to my neighbors, asking them about their lives, listening very well, right? We've got this other tool called the four H's of listening. Um, listening to their stories, where they're from, why are they here, how long they've been here. I, I was telling this to somebody yesterday who was asking me, like, um, how do you do that? Like, how do you, and I said, look, it's not that I get it. Yes, it, it takes intentionality and consistency, but people love to talk about themselves, right? Uh, we all do. <laughs> Yeah. Ask people what they do. Um, ask them about where they're from. Ask them to tell you about, you know, what they believe about X. They'll talk, man. They'll, they'll blab on for forever. And so that's, for me, a huge part of, okay, what does it look like practically? I know it's simple. It's the incarnation away. It starts with listening, with discovering. I think that's, I think that's really good too, man. And when I think about that, um, what I keep coming back to, so do you guys remember back when the question was always, uh, the Christian question was, where are you going to go when you die? <laughs> that was, that was the hook. Right. And then you offer Jesus and say, you get to go to heaven. Um, my question now for people is what's worth giving your life to, um, hmm. because, because really you've got this one life and, and you're going to give it to something and you're going to give it to a job. You're going to give it to passions. You're going to give it to hobbies. And I think people are actually really excited about giving their lives to something bigger than themselves, greater than themselves, giving themselves to a mission. Uh, and people will do that. And, and actually Jeremy and uh, Monica, I love how they frame it. Um, they said that, you know, what are the people place or cause that you get fired up about. And so even just asking those questions, is there a people group that you just get fired up about that? You're just like, I want to advocate for them. I want to be there for them. I want to do that. Is there a, a place, you know, whether a physical location, a geographic location, your neighborhood, your street, um, your third space, whatever it is, or is there a cause, you know, is there something that you're just like, that is worth giving my life to I'm it's worth fighting for. And the, the beautiful thing is I don't think, uh, that's a Christian or non-Christian thing. I think that's everybody. And the beautiful thing about being on mission is it can totally cross all those boundaries. It's not like I have to wait for you to buy everything I buy about Jesus to be on mission together. If we're saying, Hey, we want to make this, this a better place, whatever you want to say, uh, I would even say, Hey, let's make our neighborhood look more like heaven than earth. Whatever your idea of heaven is, is probably uh, better than this. What is that going to look like? And you can get into the minutia, but now we're working together and now we're in relationship together. Now we're on mission together. And then there's some beautiful things that could happen out of that. So I think for me to answer your question, Terry, that's how I would do it. One of the things that as pastors, if you're listening to this and you're, you're trying to figure out how, how to mobilize people, get people into this, I think something that Andrea said that I think is important to just to reiterate and to make sure that people understand that. Um, when we talk about the work of contextualization and we talk about the work of, of uh, incarnating and things like that, that in the past has often been the work of professional 
Christians, like the mission, the professional missionaries that, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go do some kind of schooling or I've got to go, you know, I have to have a heartbeat for um, India or Haiti or somewhere else exotic around the world. Uh, it doesn't count if I have that feel that way about my neighborhood because no one's going to pay me to be a missionary to my neighborhood. And I think that's the point. I think we have to, we have to simplify. We have to remove this, this thought, this idea, this, this, uh, we've created a culture where the everyday follower of Jesus, the expectation of participation uh, with God simply looks like showing up, putting something in an offering plate, uh, and maybe showing up to a small group. And so we have to get beyond that, that it's, it's that everyone is qualified. Everyone is able to do this. And now they may be doing it at different degrees and that's okay. And we have to give permission, people permission to do that. Uh, but we have to, we have to get people in the game. Everyone has to play a part. Uh, and so we have to encourage that. And that, that starts with the leader. Um, that starts with that staff, that, that lead staff person who uh who has the platform who can encourage people now it's it's not going to happen overnight you, you can't he's like i'm gonna preach on it this weekend you can't get on the platform on sunday and say hey guys uh i know our culture may have make you think that you aren't important and you don't get to play a role in this but hey you are you are a missionary and this is how you're that's not going to get it done it's it's going to have to be consistent over time and time and mm. it's going to have to start with you as the as the lead person the person who's leading the charge you have to be a practitioner so you have to do this but here's the other thing it can't end with you because if you get up and start telling your stories of how what you're doing in your neighbor neighborhood people are going to sit there and was like well that's why you get paid like you're <laughs> you're the paid christian so of course you should be doing that in your neighborhood so yes we have to be practitioners but we have to get people involved and we have to champion their stories if i ever get a chance to get on a platform i mu would much rather tell the story of someone else even if it's even if my story is way better even if god just did something huge and i'm like oh my gosh this story would just slay this audience like i this is gonna this is gonna bring the house down i may even get a couple people to cry right <laughs> that story is weaker than a story, even if it's a, just a small piece of momentum of being able to share someone else's story of how they're figuring out how to do it, working 50 hours a week, family of three, all of the responsibilities they have, but they're still engaging in the mission of God. That's the story. That's the story we have to champion and we have to champion them over and over and over again. And we need fresh stories. We have to have fresh stories. We have to tell people we can't hold on. It can't keep going back to that one story that happened three years ago. That was like, Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what would happen. It was that one moment. It's like, no one cares about your stupid airplane story anymore. Get over it. Like tell me something that's happened in the last two weeks. Um, I don't care how small it is. It just tell me something. That's what, that's what the church needs. I think that also helps answer the question of, or it is another answer to the question, how do you um, innovate or influence from the second or third chair um, is what I've seen is, you know, as you said, one, nobody's going to, you know, tell you not to, you know, bring in Jesus and talk more about discipleship, yeah. but also no one's going to tell you to stop, you know, being on mission, living on mission. Yeah. Um, one of the best ways that I've seen people being able to influence culture at a church when they're in second and third year is when they're bringing stories, 
we talk about this at Forge where how do you shift, you know, or what's the connection between the status quo and the movement pathway and it's stories. And this is so key and it's so important. It's foundational is, uh, and we do this with global missionaries, don't we? We love to bring in on mission Sunday and for them to tell us stories about how, you know, Muslims came to faith and how, you know, they started this community center. If we believe that God is a missionary God who forms, shapes, and sends a missionary people, and that thereby every Christian has been commissioned as a missionary by nature, why aren't we bringing them in every Sunday? When do they get yeah. a chance to tell their stories? Um, and so I really think that that's, that's key and that's huge. Um, it helps answer that question of how do you lead from second and third, bring in stories, just do it. Right. That's, that's my, that's my mantra. Uh, ask for forgiveness, not for permission. There you go. Well, let's, let's, uh, wrap this up, uh, because, uh, this has been a really great conversation. And so to end, which it's funny, we've been talking about mission this whole time. We have not really laid out a, a solid definition of what mission is. Uh, and so Forge, we, we don't have a mission that we've created. We've totally just co-opted uh, a definition of mission because we think it's so good. And it's, it's from David Bosch, a South African uh, missiologist. Uh, and, and roughly, he, he defines mission as it's not so much uh, the recruiting of others to Christianity, but it's more the alerting of others to the rule and reign of God uh, through the life of Jesus Christ. And so... Um, a lot of words, but simply mission is alerting people to the reign of God in the everyday spaces of life. Um, and so we are, we have to figure out how do we mobilize our people? How do we get as many people who love Jesus to begin living lives that naturally and consistently and very, very intentionally point the presence of God out in the everyday spaces of life. That's what we have to do. And so if that's the mission, final thoughts, final encouragement for a pastor, a leader, or someone who may just be listening to say, okay, that's huge. How do I get there? What would be something that's worked well for you guys? I think for me, it's, it's in, that, in, that, in that statement you just said about defining mission, the inherent creativity in that. The inherent flexibility in that. So um, a lot of times what I've noticed is like, say, for example, a church will come up with an initiative and say, we're going to alleviate homelessness in our city. That's awesome. That's great. And there's probably some people who get really passionate about that and get really fired up. And there's a lot of creativity that can happen with that. Uh, but what I've noticed is um, that is one or a couple people. That's how they want to see the rule and reign of God revealed in their city through that. That's awesome. But then there's somebody else who says, yeah, but I really want uh, fourth graders to be able to read at, at level um, or I want to do whatever. And so the inherent creativity and the idea of saying God's wired you a certain way and God is wanting to um, wanting you to join him in what he's already doing using your gifts and passions. Um, I think for me, that is, that's the most inspiring part of it. And I want to be able to help people find that to be able to be inspired and go, yeah, you can do that thing and, and go do it. Like the vision that God's given you, that's something he's given you go do that thing. Go, go follow God and what he's doing. Yeah. I, I say the exact same thing and just add experiment and take risks. 
be comfortable and willing to say, I'm going to try something. I'm not going to aim for failure, but if I quote unquote fail, that's going to be okay. I remember a friend, uh, Jaime once told me this, the spirit won't let you mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So take risks and experiment. And unless you're willing to do that, you know, nothing, nothing great, as they say, was ever accomplished, uh, through comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And I would add to that. Uh, I think those are both really great, uh, ideas. Uh, and I think a third piece that fits snuggles right in between those two thoughts is, um, this idea that we have to, we have to embrace people where they're at. The con part of contextualizing mission is contextualizing your own ability, your own situation, your own life. Um, and, and count and really being willing to count everything. And so, um, we talk, we have no problem talking about APEST and leadership and how God anoints people differently. Ephesians 4 spells that out very clearly that he anointed some this way and some that way and some higher and some lower. That's, that's God. And no one can argue with that. You know, some people, why am I, why is my prophetic gifting so small compared to Michael Frost? who just wakes up in the morning and just has a hot take. And it's like, good Lord, man, give us time to wake up, you know? And I, I, you can't argue with that. But when it comes to mission, God anoints us as well. And all of those things that we do, we're anointed. And so some people can get out and like, how did you create a church network with 50 micro churches? And this is amazing. How did you do that? And then some people who put the same energy and the effort, but they can create one small community and both are to be celebrated equally. And we have to get out of this idea of, we have to change the, the, the paradigm is bigger is not better. Um, more people is not better. It, it, we, we got to get rid of that because it diminishes the impact of what people can just naturally be anointed to do. Because when we when we do that, we're basically segmenting the kingdom. When in reality, you take the big win and you take the little win, it's all a win and it's all for the kingdom and it all adds up to the greatness of who God is. And I think we have to, we have to be quick to let people be creative. We have to let people experiment. And then we have to be able to say, no matter what the result, that was a win. That was good. Whether it's huge or you just look at it and it's like, I could have done that in 10 minutes, but it took them a month to get it done. That's okay because that's where they're at. That's the speed they go at. We all can't be rabbits. Some of us are big boys and we go at a turtle's uh, uh, pace and that's okay. That's that's the beauty of, of the kingdom of God is that all people are welcome, no matter how quick or how fast they are. So. Well, thank you guys uh, for being on the podcast today. Uh, man, I know it went long, but I think there was some just really good uh, conversations. If you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I need, I need more on this idea of practical, how do I get people? Uh, Andreas gave away all of our letters, uh, the four Ds and the Hs <laughs> and the six Ps and all that. If you're like, those, those are all amazing practices and ideas. If that's something that you would benefit from, uh, man, reach out to us, uh, forgeamerica.com, uh, Alan, Terry, Andreas, we're, we're all, you can find all of us somewhere on that website. Um, 
we'd love to be able to, to connect and walk with you. I mean, our desire at Forge America is to partner with the church, uh, to partner with church leaders, to help them mobilize the people of God into the everyday mission of God. And so if there's any way we can help you in that endeavor, please let us know. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, please uh, give us five stars on the, on the iTunes or whatever it is they have these days. Uh, share us on your social media. And uh, we will see you next week when we are joined uh, uh, by some special guests. And we're going to talk about the ecclesiology aspect of this. Um, which I think is the, the, it's the, it's the, at least in my, it's, I enjoy talking about it because it ruffles the most feathers. And so, because we have such concrete ideas around ecclesiology, uh, and I love just walking in with an open palm and it's like, Hey, let's, anything goes. And so we'll talk about that next week. Uh, again, thanks guys. And we will see you next week. <laughs>